I'm really excited about the number of people that are here this year that have an interest in this work. And I'm very excited because it is, in general, a new field for the Anabaptist community. Some others have been in the field for years. Wycliffe started back in 1942 with Townsend. He had, well, William Townsend had started a while before that. But for the Anabaptist community, it's new. And it's almost a surprise because of the fact that we have conferences like this on the Word of God and we love the Word of God. But maybe many of us have failed to see the fields that are still waiting. And when I speak on this subject, I don't want to in any way minimize the other fields that were already mentioned. There are fields right here in our home communities, in our local cities. But I believe God's heart beats in a special way for the many who yet have not heard for the very first time. I'd like to address four points today. First of all, the needs, and then ways to get involved, and then what's all involved in a Bible translation, at least a little bit I know, and then what I consider some of the urgent needs of the hour. What are some of the things that the Bible translation world really needs? I don't think I have to convince anyone in here that this work needs to be done. First of all, we've heard so many reasons already why the Word of God is so important. And we know it's the heart of God. It shows up in the very beginning with God's call to the children of Israel. And it was not an isolated call for just the Jewish people. It was a call for all nations. He put them in that specific place. Why? So that His revelation would go out from them to the peoples of the world. Why was it that the court of the temple was so large? The court of the Gentiles was much, much larger than any other part of the temple. Why? I believe because God wanted the Gentiles to be a part of His worship as well. And many of those people are still waiting. So we, I don't need to convince you of that, but I'd like to... This morning I mentioned a little bit about God's glorious revelation and that Almighty God revealed Himself to us through His Word, providing a means by which we can come to a position of harmony with Him and to carry out His will on earth. And... One of the way, and the way we do that, I believe, is by giving his message to the nations. Now, many of us are sitting under our vines and under our fig trees. Now, in the Bible, uh, in the biblical era, and even today, it be- it became a metaphor. For living in peace. Why? Because if you have grapevines or a fig tree, you would know that the crop tends to come over a period of time. And the only way you could harvest them was if you lived in peace and could live in your fields and harvest the crops over this long, sometimes fig trees, what is it, two to three months even. And so we have this metaphor used multiple times 
in the Bible. And I think sitting under one's vine and under one's fig tree certainly symbolizes us to a great degree. But why are we sitting under our vine and under our figs when some of the most difficult and hard to reach places of the earth are still waiting and have yet not heard? And Joel already alluded to this verse from Joshua where God tells Joshua, there's very much land to be possessed. And in the Hebrew that's and that's just very much. It's like that double ver, uh, sometimes we use that kind of thing in English. It's to show how much was yet to be reached. And I'm certain if God would speak on this issue to us, which I believe He does, His word is yet, there is very much land to be possessed. Now, I'm assuming that many of you are familiar with some of the statistics the needs in the world, I'm going to move through them very quickly. One is that there's about 6,900 languages in our world. That's approximates. Um, about 457 of them have a complete Bible. An additional 754 have a New Testament. And by the way, don't forget, that's without an Old Testament. I'll come back to that later. About half of the world's languages have at least something. They have the Jesus film. They have access via Christian radio. Somehow they can hear about the name of Jesus. But there are still about 2,100 languages that have absolutely nothing. Now, I do want to make it clear that this 2,100 is a small part of the world's population. But even small parts, when you talk about a population of six and a half billion, is very large. There, there are approximately, according to Wycliffe's standard, about all of these statistics either come from Wycliffe or the Joshua Project. Wycliffe says there's about 340 million people who still have no access to the Word of God in any form. And I've wondered already, what would happen? If God could capture us in a way that for once we would hold still and God would begin to flash these 340 million people before our eyes one at a time, one per second, maybe we would see something like this. And it be for 11 haunting years that you and I would have to watch as these people moved on. Many of them are dying. Since the beginning of Wycliffe in 1942, there have been about 700, uh, no, there's been about 700 New Testaments produced by Wycliffe. But did you know only about 10% of them have Old Testaments. Only about 10% have the complete Bible. And maybe you think that's not so significant. Well, let's keep moving. 
where are the greatest needs still in our world today? One of them is in Central Africa. Nigeria, particularly up in here, has uh, over 500 living languages. I think the number is 512. In Nigeria alone. Remarkable. There's very few countries like that on the face of the, on the, face of the earth. There's multiple reasons for it. Another one is Southeast Asia and the mainland. China is said to have about 200 million people who yet have to hear about the name of Jesus. 200 million in one country. And they only have, what, um, about 200 living languages. And yet there are down in, I'll mention a group in here later. This, as many of you would know, are right in there you have the Himalayas making this region very difficult. You also, in this area, have Tibet, very cold, very high in elevation. Many people here are still waiting. And then the third great region is uh, Indonesia, Papua New Guinea, and the Pacific Islands. These three areas represent about 75% of the languages that have yet to be redeemed for Christ. And why, why are some of these places waiting? One is that access can be very difficult. I mentioned southern China. This is true in a lot of these places. Uh, religious blocks, political blocks all over the place. Population densities. Northern India has many languages that are still waiting. And then security issues. Some of these places, there's warfare and making it almost impossible to reach. And a lot of these are the kind of places that are still waiting today. I'd like to mention this group just a little bit. And this is in southern China. It's called Alua. This group is actually not that large comparison to some of the groups. They have about 72,000 speakers. And at this point, there is no known Christians among them. They have a very strong belief in a hero they call Alua, from which they get their name, who was a more-than-life figure, superhuman, who is said to have lived in the days when there were nine, moon, nine suns and eight moons that were scorching the earth, and he shot them down, making the, wor the world habitable. And for this reason, the Aluo people are actually, Luo people are very hard to convince to come to Christ. They have a strong belief in this. They have their regular uh, once-every-twelve-year festival, in which they commemorate this. And at this point, there were no known Christians among them. This is just the smallest snapshot. You could give, go on and on and on with these kind of statistics, and I won't do that. What are ways that you can be involved? Because I believe there's some of you here that really do feel that you're called of God for the work. Others know the need is real and just want to be involved. What can all of us do? And Joel talked about this already, and I want to mention it, that I think one of the things we can all do is pray. Now you may say, how do I pray for a Bible translator? First of all, I want to say there is probably no work that you can take on in your life that you will find so daunting and so impossible. 
that was said basically in that words by a translator herself. Why? Why is it so difficult? One is it's incredibly tedious work. Many of the passages in the original are hard to understand. If there's ever a Bible passage you didn't understand in English, it's probably because the original translators hardly understood it either. And if you've never understood it, you will now have to understand it if you want to translate it. There's another problem. A big problem in Bible translation is that there are simply no, there are no dynamic equivalents for words. For example, what do you do when you get to a group of people that does not have a foundational concept like salvation? Or you're reading in the New Testament and you read that Jesus is the bread of life and you say, oh, that's easy to translate. And then, oh, but these people don't have a clue what bread is. This is not just something that occurs occasionally in Bible translation. This occurs frequently. And there are many ways they try to solve it. But people will spend weeks and months laboring over how to put things in the right kind of wording. And that's why I say the least we can do is to engage in praying for Bible translators, even if we don't know a specific one, and pray that they would be able to understand the text and be able to find words in which to translate it. The other one is, Many of these places that still need Bible translations, yes, there are a few people waiting and actually calling for Bible translations, but many of these people are in places of darkness that don't want to change. They are satanic strongholds. I I still can hardly get over this. I remember the time I heard a Bible translator say he labored for 17 years in a Muslim culture in the Philippines, and they were ousted from their tribe, and he doesn't know of a single believer there. And he spent 17 years of his life, and it didn't seem to matter to him at all. He was just glad the word was there, and that it would one day have its fruit. And that's some of what Bible translators are dealing with. The other thing, it is sheerly exhausting, and I'll have a point on that a little bit later. So what can you do besides pray? If you want to finance, I mean, be involved in helping a Bible translator, be committed for the long haul if you're looking at doing it uh, through money, because Bible translation is not a short project and requires a lot of funds. So if you feel inspired by God, that is one way that you may be able to assist. If you have medical skills, there's medical teams needed because many of these places are in undeveloped areas and they are very important. Literacy. And this was a, this again was struck home with me in talking with an other Bible translator who mentioned how he went, when he went to these people, um, they were they had no concept of reading or even seeing stuff on pictures like that. They would take in a Time magazine and the people would look at even the pictures upside down. 
They had no idea how to look at a picture. Things we've seen from young up. If you feel called of God in the area of literacy, you love to teach even how to read. There is a place in this work for you as well. And there are computer technicians that are needed. There are people needed stateside to help facilitate it. And then, of course, there's Bible translators that are needed as well. Now, in the third part, I'd like to give you just a little window into what all has to take place in a Bible translation. I know only a very little. But I want to do this because before my wife and I started on this journey of Bible translation, I had little idea of what all was involved. Somehow, God is calling us to Bible translation. Let's go and do it. I think it's important that before any couple or any single person decides to do it, that you count the cost. Recently in talking with Caleb, uh, I was struck with that again. He said he, with his family background, he probably knows a little too much of what's involved in some of those things, helping him to count the cost early. But this is a little bit of what is involved in Bible translation. And some of these things you could find out through All Nations Bible Translation, which has their display in the back. Um, First of all, if you feel called of God, one of the first things to do is simply get some basic training in linguistics and in the study of the original languages. Those are kind of a minimum that you need to do. Then if you go to the field, you may spend a couple years in language and culture, just learning to know the people. And then maybe they have no alphabet. Someone has to develop an orthography for them. And then the translation of scriptures itself can easily take 15 to 20 years for one project. Every now and then you meet someone who has actually been involved in two in their life. Many only are involved in one. And then the translation itself, there's a first draft, there's reviewing, there's testing, then there's revisions, then there's checking by consultants, then there's revisions again, then there's reviewers read it, and then it's revised again, and then you do consistency checks. And recently a Bible consultant said that when he was working on the uh, Kazakhstan Bible translation, he said, I believed that these people deserve to receive the word of God sooner rather than later. And that brother spent 14 hours a day, six days a week, for a whole year just in consistency checks to make sure that, for example, if a word in the original was, um, there'd be many different words you could pull out to make sure it was consistently translated the same way into the target language. A whole year. This brother has an incredible belief that the word of God deserves to be done well. And he was willing to invest that kind of time. That was only consistency checks. Honestly, I don't know how he did it. And he said... Well, no, I won't go into that. And then I want to finish out today with what I consider are some of the needs of the hour for our community right now. Because it is a relatively new work 
for us. I could hardly believe my ears when in talking to a consultant for a well-known Bible translation organization said this. He said, of the Bibles that have been translated, only about 10% are in active use. And I said, that can't be. Not after someone has worked this hard to translate it. Now, those statistics were just kind of off the wall, but he has had a lot of experience, and this is what he, what he said. And he gave a couple reasons why he thinks this is. He said one is he believes it's because the quality of the translations is low. And that's why he is willing to pour hours and hours and his entire life into trying to get the best translation that these people can get. Another reason, he said, is because most of these people have no Old Testament. Now, this is of particular significance when you go to a lot of the places that have yet to be reached for Christ. Cultures that are often agrarian, subsistent farming, simply living off the land. When they read the Old Testament, so many of the themes they connect with. And in general, they find Paul's letters very difficult to read in the early years as they're only young Christians. And plus, the Old Testament provides the foundation for the New Testament. So why did Jesus ever have to die? Read Genesis. And this became clear when another Bible translator was talking about how when he was working with his Bible translation team, they came to the story of Abraham. And he asked his helpers, what's going to happen? Because they all know who Abraham is and they all know what God has commanded. They know the promises of God. And they said, well, he's going to offer his son. That's what Abraham does. He's faithful. He obeys God. Then the translator asked him, but what's going to happen to the promises of God? And their solution was that God will somehow provide an answer. God will provide a means out of this situation. And that's what God did. And I have, I've come to believe so strongly, you could argue with me, but that when we start our translations, that we start with the foundation and we work to the New Testament. This does not in any way undermine the New Testament because the New Testament is the culmination. But what's a culmination if it has no beginning? 
I think another reason why 90% of these translations are not being used is because I think we also must be in actively engaged in church planting and discipleship. But with that, I give a word of caution to those of us who push that in forefront in Bible translation. There's a reason why Wycliffe has decided not to push the church planting, and that's because many church planters don't get Bible translation done because the work ends up being too much. And so the Bible translator has to think very carefully how he will translate and do a church plant. But I think that's another reason why too many of these are sitting on the shelf. There's another, there's a cry coming out from the translation community. And this again comes from someone who regularly attends the meetings where most of the heads of the organizations come together, people like Wycliffe, like a New Tribes Mission, like um, um, United Bible Society. When they come together, their continual cry is that we need Old Testament consultants. We need more people who know the Old Testament who know it inside and out and know it from the original language. This same consultant that I was talking about earlier said, he said it with a smirk and he didn't really want to hide it, but he said the truth is, in our circles, while many of the consultants pose as really knowing the text in the original, very few do. And he said what we need We need people who know the text in the original and who know it well enough so that they can become used of God in mighty ways. Now, when I say this, I mean more than simply an academic grasp of the original text. That must be as well. But it must come to the place where this Word of God, I believe in the the original for a Bible translator and a consultant, must be able to grab your heart. We must become slaves of the text. Now, for my wife and I, this is mean, this means using modern Hebrew as a means to get to biblical Hebrew. It's not the only way to do it, but as I entered, as we first entered Bible translation, my thought was, what do we need to do so we can translate the scriptures? So I thought, alright, basically two years of a language study and maybe a little, some study at SIL as well. Now, folks, I'm not here to to promote the opposite, that we all need PhDs. But one of the things I am pushing for is that we must know the text and must know it well. And the Word of God doesn't deserve any less. And for some of us, that's going to mean a lot of preparation to get ready for it. But I'm just being honest with, that's where some of the needs lie. And I think... There are people right here today in this audience who could begin filling those needs. My wife and I also have a vision for being able to teach uh, mother tongue translators on the field 
teach them Hebrew so they can do more translating straight from the original. And that's part of the reason why we feel like we need modern Hebrew so we can internalize it and actually come to the place of speaking Hebrew. And I want to close with one more thing. I think the need of the hour is like I mentioned, people who know the original text well, people who have spent the time and are ready to go out and meet this field. God needs people, well-trained people. But another thing I think is a need for the hour, especially for our communities, is people who are willing to sell their life for this cause. For the publishing of God's word to the nations. Short-term ministry in Bible translation doesn't work. And I wonder if it works even in some of the places where we think it works. I think God's call is for people who will sell their lives. If you would be even involved in completing two translations, that would be rare. So I don't know where you are, but I do want to say there is work for all of you in this field where there are many people yet waiting. Will you sit under your fig tree and under your vine?